Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Heroes, Villains, and Redemption. My name is Jonathan Chan and I'm so happy that you can join us today. Every week so far we've been exploring one comic book character to see how the gospel can provide them with redemption. This week I'm privileged and have the opportunity to explore our very first female character in our series, namely Wonder Woman. Before we begin, let's start off with a brief little video taken out of the recent movie entitled Wonder Woman, starring Gal Gadot and directed by Patty Jenkins. Enjoy. I'm one of the good guys, and those are the bad guys. What? The Germans. Come on, we need to get out of here. The Germans? Diana! So welcome back. This morning we're going to be exploring Wonder Woman. Now, Wonder Woman is an interesting character. She was basically from a isolated island, and it was not until she integrated herself into humanity by entering into the war and meeting Stephen Trevor and encountering humanity at its highest level in the war that she realizes that human beings are quite complex. Right and wrong, ethics, morality, it's not that clear as she was taught when she was alone with her Amazonians in the, on the island of Themyscira. See, she was taught all along that evil resided in, solely resided in the actions of a god named Ares, the god of war. But when she came out and encountered humanity, evil didn't just reside in a god of Ares. You can't just blame one god for all of your troubles. In other words, Wonder Woman grew up. And so this is our, my point for today. See, Wonder Woman always wanted to be fighting for the right she wants to right the wrongs. She's gifted with so many powers, whether it be speed, ability, flight. I have no idea how she flies, but apparently she knows how to fly. And she has strength, like the strength of the gods and speed of whatever. You could list all the gods. I'm, can't, I'm not familiar with all the gods, but she has all the Greek gods' abilities. And she has this demigod immortality too. Yet she's also a good and wholesome person who really wants to do what is right, right the wrongs, fight for the oppressed, and fight for what is, tr what is really good and, uh, and protect the world from evil. Yet once she encounters humanity, she wasn't sure anymore. See, if you are familiar with the whole comic book story arc of Wonder Woman, it's hard to know uh, at first sight what her dilemmas are, but really, if you read her whole entire story and you journey along with her, you know that she's always been struggling, pondering and, and questioning her actions, whether she's actually on the right side, whether she's actually doing the right thing or whether she's on the, with the right people and whether she's actually fighting for the right cause. In fact, there are many times that she's even questioning the cause. So nothing is really that simple for her. She was brought up where everything was black and white and really simple and really dualistic, right? Just 
right is right, wrong is wrong. But now she's encountering humanity. Things are not as clear as it should be. And so here's my point this morning in, in relation to Wonder Woman, in relation to the gospel. If given a choice, is it better to be right or to be true? Wait a minute, you might ask me, Jonathan, isn't right and true the same thing? I argue, no, it's not. So what's the difference? And that's where we're going to go into. Now, before we do that, let's just briefly take a look at Wonder Woman's origin story. And if you're like me, uh, who's not really familiar with Wonder Woman's origin story, I apologize because uh, when I was a young kid, all I gravitated to was a guy who dresses in black and wears a cape. So Wonder Woman was really not my on my never was never on my radar throughout my whole youth, uh, age of youth, you would say. So when I encountered Wonder Woman the movie, I thought to myself, how many other people are in the same shoes as I am who wasn't really who aren't really familiar with Wonder Woman's origin story? I bet many of us. And so let's just use the recent movie entitled Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins as our point of reference. Now. For those who are purists out there, forgive me. Um, I would do my best next time to uh, uh, investigate further and elaborate further on her story. But let's just use Patty Jenkins' movie since we're all more familiar with that movie. So let's begin with her story. Interesting enough, Wonder Woman is placed in World War I. Uh, her whole story started when she met uh, Steve Trevor and Steve Trevor took her to the war of World War I, the war of all wars, the war that ends all wars, so to speak. Now, if you're not a history buff and, or know much about uh, war history, uh, here's just a brief overview of World War I and why it happened. Actually, uh, speaking of why, I'll get to that later on. So uh, I took a history, some history courses, including a history, the first and second year of history in university. And so uh, I know a little bit of, uh, of World War I. My history professor said one time that World War I was always brewing uh, for a long time. See, we were, the, in Europe back then, they were not governed by democra democratic governments. Like, uh, they were not democratically elected. They, they were really run by monarchs. And uh, so, uh, as you can see, when it's uh, run by imperial uh, leaders, uh, there's a tendency for need of colonial power. And so we have this Austrian-Hungarian uh, empire wanting to take over this nation, uh, namely Sarajevo, Bosnia. And however, because Sarajevo, Bosnia put up a fight, there's this humongous tension between them, between Austria, Hungary, and Bosnia. Bosnia. Now, this tension uh, grew and grew and grew, and uh, like my professor said, all it took was a lit match into a powder cake. And what was that match? That match was the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who happens to be the heir to the Austrian Empire. Oh wow! Then a domino effect happened, and you could say, and so uh, all 
the, the friends of the uh, Austrian-Hungarian Empire united together in one side, and all the friends and allies of the, of the Bosnian uh, country united on the other side. Now, why was it so fast? Why were they so quick to gain alliances? Why was there the central powers and the allied powers, so to speak? Why was it so fast? Well, historians uh, um, explain that because we're in this imperial age where there's a lot of colonial investment, a lot of political interests, of course, the countries would try to uh, win and uh, gain some land for themselves. So the Germans, well, it, they thought that the Austrian Empire would be the winners in, at the end of all this. They would join with the Austrian Empire and to, to gain land. Whereas uh, Great Britain, France, Italy, Russia, they all felt threatened by this power. Threatened because they could be knocking on their door and um, uh, losing their piece of land and people and losing power. So they quickly gained alliances. Now throughout the war, many of the soldiers who were fighting there were questioning whether this war was really legit. And... Uh, Many of the journals that were found in these trenches, as you see on this picture, many of the journals that historians have found, you could, they found that a lot of the soldiers were wondering, who's really right here? Who's the good guy? Who's really the good guy? And who's really the bad guy? Because it's really not that clear. Uh, like, are we really fighting for what is right? Or are we just fighting for a king who is just power hungry? All kings who were power hungry. What's going on? Why are we like fighting? Why are we doing this? So really, uh, a lot of historians, including the soldiers themselves, were wondering, is really this war ethical, moral? Because after the war, six, more than 16 million people died from this war, soldiers and civilians alike. 16 million people. Was this war really necessary? And so Wonder Woman her origin story starts in this war. So let's briefly summarize Wonder Woman's origins. So she's made out of clay. Uh, her mom, Hippolyta, uh, fashioned her in, with clay, and the Greek gods bestowed life upon this clay doll, and she becomes a human being. So she is not born of the will of man. Hmm. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? She's raised and taught among the Amazons on how to fight and how to, you know, know the difference between uh, peace and love and war and bad, good and evil. She's really sheltered, basically. A really sheltered kid. Then comes Stephen Trevor. Uh, he's a pilot. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, and when she, Wonder Woman becomes an adult, she, uh, Stephen Trevor comes in. She, he crash lands in the ocean, and before he before he drowned, uh, Diana, who is Wonder Woman, the woman Wonder Woman's real name, Diana comes and saves him, takes him out of the water, and um, saves uh, saves him from drowning. Now, of course, uh, he's the, he's the only guy on the island, so he's held captive among the Amazons, which I'm sure many teenagers today probably had uh, this dream once in their life, at least once in their lifetime. And Steve, uh, being uh, bound by the lasso of truth, spills the beans saying that he's uh, fighting this war, that he has to go back to this war, and uh, he's on the good guy side. Now, 
Diana's mom, Hippolyta, and the rest of the Amazons did not really believe him. They believe that there's a war going on, but they're way sure whether he's actually on the good guy's side. Yet Diana believed him. Now, we're not quite sure why Diana believed uh, Stephen. Uh, it could be because uh, in the movie, Steve saved her from a, um, a bullet shot. Um, the bullet was heading towards her and Stephen like, rushed in and saved her from that bullet. But it also could be that she just went gaga over Chris Pine's body. Um, we're not quite sure. She probably did. Like, look at Chris Pine. He really uh, benched the, a lot of weights and the abs was this extraordinary. Yet, we're not quite sure, really, ultimately, why Diana was convinced that Steve's story was true and that Steve is on the good guy side, whereas Hippolyta and the rest of the Amazons didn't really believe him. And so, uh, because she believed in Steve's story, she decides that she needs to join this war and save the day. Uh, defeat Ares, the god of war, who she believes that was the cause of this war. And so she goes against her mother's wishes. Now, Wonder Woman believed that Steve was right, basically. He's the good guy. But I have a question for all of us this morning. What happened if Steve was not the one who crashed and was not the one that Wonder Woman saved? What happens? What happened if it was a German who crashed? Instead of Steve, it would be Steve. And Steve crashed into the ocean, and Wonder Woman saves Steve. And it was the Allies who were chasing Steve. And it was the Allies who was who were shooting at Wonder Woman and her Amazonian uh, girlfriends. Uh, like it was the allies who killed some of Wonder Woman's girlfriends as well. What happened if Wonder Woman sided with the German allied forces instead of the uh, wait, what happened if Wonder Woman joined with the central powers instead of the allied powers? Well, I could tell you that probably she would be on the other side of the trenches. She would be in the Germans' trenches. She would also uh, see German women, German mothers, and German children who were crying and weeping and German soldiers dying and German civilians dying. She would feel sorry for them. And then she would open a can of whoop-ass and whoop out the Allied forces. Definitely. She would pummel them. Just like what she would, just like how she did it to the German forces in the movie. So it would have been just exactly the same, except that instead of the German forces being pummeled by her, it would be the Allied forces being pummeled by her. And probably um, Ares would probably be an ally too. So here's my question. See, this is where Wonder Woman gets her dilemma and her struggles of being Wonder Woman. She, she's, in, she's endowed with this great power, godlike power, immortality, demigod-like immortality. She has weaponry, she has skill, she has a shield, she has a sword, and she has these gauntlets that shoot lightning. Yet, she's fighting for what is right and wants to right the wrong. Yet, she's not quite sure who is really right and who is really wrong. Many times, she finds herself questioning whether she's fighting for the right cause whether she's on the right side. 
How can the gospel then redeem one woman? How can the gospel redeem us as well? Because I bet many of us have a tendency to want to be right. Many of us want to be on the right side. Many of us want to be there in the right crowd. I'm sure we need the gospel to redeem us as well. See, here's my point again this morning. Who is right? And is really right something that, we, that the gospel is concerned about? I argue that the gospel is not concerned about right or wrong. The gospel is a concern. The gospel's ultimate concern is about what is true. For knowing the truth is the foundation of, of where right and wrong comes out of. Knowing the truth is how we determine what is right and wrong. And most of the time, if we are left to our own capacities, we are likely to be wrong. So let's go into scripture to expand on this. Okay, so the Greek word for truth, I couldn't put it on the slide because I wasn't quite sure how to incorporate Greek, ancient Greek accents into a PowerPoint. And my cut and paste didn't quite work. So bear with me as I um, try to work this. So the Greek word for truth is alethe, alethe. And interestingly, the gospel that contains this word the most is in the gospel according to John, 22 times compared to single digit occurrences in the other three gospels. Single digits meaning the most was six. I gathered some of the verses with this word, alethe, and here they are in John. John 1, 14 to 17. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now we move on to chapter 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, we go into John chapter 18, 23. This is taken from where when Jesus was on a kangaroo court trial in front of the chief priests and lawyers during his time of betrayal. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? What is truth? When we read the Gospel of John, oh, sorry, let's go back to John. When we read the Gospel of John, the quick answer is Jesus. Jesus says that he's the truth, the way, and the life. Now, interestingly, if you do, if you're familiar with Greek sentence structure, um, which I am, uh, I will give you a brief little uh, hint or tidbit of uh, helpful tools. If you see that, like uh, this these nouns are uh, aligned together in one phrase, it actually means that they're all supposed to be lined up on top of each other, meaning they're all equal, meaning that way equals truth equals life. So way equals life, life equals way, way equals truth, truth equals life. So you get it? So truth is not just truth as in merely concept. Truth is way, truth 
is also life. So Jesus is truth, not only truth, but he's, he's the way and the life. And that's true. So it's not just a concept. Truth is not just a concept being a truth. It's actually an embodiment of life. It's the way we act and it's the way we live. That is truth. So when Jesus is the truth and the way and the life, he's truth. The truth that he is, is that it's how he lives, how he interacts with people, how he heals, how he uh, presents himself. That is truth. Not what is right or wrong. Those are just concepts. Truth is a living human being who is Jesus, the human embodiment of God. John says that no one has seen God, but they have seen him in Jesus. For Jesus is the human embodiment of God, and get this, God's true character. Jesus is God's true character. Jesus says, you know the Father when you know me. So what is truth? Again, not what is right and wrong or just merely concepts by definition. Truth is Jesus the living, breathing, active human embodiment of God and God's character. Not a stagnant concept, not a verse in the Bible with these black and white letters on your, on your book. No, truth is Jesus. And truth has nothing to do with merely just concepts or what we Christians call doctrine. Now, you might wonder, okay, doctrine. Were, were the chief priests and lawyers concerned about doctrine? Oh, yes, they were. And how do we know that the chief priests and lawyers were more concerned about doctrine, i.e. being right? Well, we take a look at chapter 18, verse 23. During Jesus' kangaroo court trial, mocked up by the chief priests, they accused Jesus of being wrong. Notice what is written. They didn't accuse Jesus of being untruthful, or the opposite of truthful is false, right? No, Jesus replied to them and pointed out before them that they were accusing Jesus of being wrong. In other words, if we read that correctly, they were accusing Jesus of being wrong because they saw themselves as being right. In other words, the chief priests and lawyers defined right and wrong in their own terms. See, Leading to Bible studies with all of you, with some of you in groups, uh, I get this, this very common question. This very common question, sorry. This common question from, all of, uh, from many of you. You ask, why were the chief priests and the lawyers so stubborn, so blind, not being able to see Jesus as God, as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets? Jesus healed. Jesus fed 5,000 people and 4,000 people. Jesus did miracles. Jesus uh, raised people from the dead. Jesus uh, uh, like released evil spirits from people. Jesus calmed the sea. Why didn't these guys believe him? Why is it that Jesus kept on saying that no matter how many people I healed or have raised from the dead, these chief priests and lawyers will never believe me? Why would that happen? It's because the chief priests and the lawyers were so determined that their interpretation of the law of, the, the law of Moses and the prophecies were the right ones. That they were convinced and convicted 
that their interpretation of scripture was right and anything else that differed was wrong. Jesus' healings of the poor, allowing the poor and the Gentiles and the sinners to come into the kingdom of God and have access to it, that was against their interpretation. That really pissed them off, actually. They said, no, only Jews were allowed to be in the kingdom of God. Only ethnic, clean, law-abiding Jews were able to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus said differently, and so because they, they disagreed so vehemently disagree with him, that they were so stubborn and so convicted that they were right, that they completely ignored the truth in front of them. In fact, because they rebelled against Jesus, little did they know they rebelled against God. And by rebelling and denouncing Jesus, they were rebelling against God and hence led all those people who followed them into judgment that came in the form of destruction by the Romans in AD 70. So, why were the, the chief priests and lawyers so stubborn? It's because they were really determined to be right. They didn't want to be wrong. They had a lot of people following them. Why do they want to have uh, any blemish in their record of being right? They didn't want to appear wrong in front of everyone. They had a PR going. So therefore, because they were so stuck in their ways and so stuck in their interpretation of the Bible, of their own scriptures, they completely ignored the fact that the truth was standing in front of them. If only they realized who Jesus was. If only they humbly welcomed him into their lives and allowed him the truth to revisit and correct their interpretations of the law and the prophets, sort of like what Jesus did with Paul, to read scripture with Jesus' character, the way he lived and loved as their foundation and lens in reading scripture, they would have knew that they were wrong. They might have encountered the truth. See, for Wonder Woman as well, if she sees everyone, whatever the social construct or whatever people would say, whether whether they're right or wrong or bad or good, If she saw people through the lens of Jesus and Jesus' character, i.e. through the lens of truth, there wouldn't be a question of which side she should be on because there won't be any sides. Jesus didn't care about sides. In fact, there were no sides when it comes to Jesus. Jesus loves everyone. And the salvation that he provided through his death and resurrection was, a, was made available for everyone. Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, Greek, non-Jew, murderers, cheaters, uh, steal, thieves, tax collectors, uh, widows, prostitutes, the worst of the worst, the best of the best. This salvation that Jesus had for everyone, he made available for everyone through his death and resurrection, was made available for all people. There wouldn't, there, for him, for Jesus, there was no sides. There were no, oh, you're right, or you're wrong, or you're bad, or you're good. No, for him, he loved everyone. And so for Wonder Woman, if she looked at people through that lens, she would be free. She would be redeemed. She would be actually free to do what she was actually called to do originally, and that was to keep the peace. Because in order to keep the peace, there should be no divisions. There should be no us versus them. Peace is when there's an existence of unity 
and unity can only exist in Jesus. So Wonder Woman would be free to love and use her awesome gifts that were bestowed by her for everyone so that they, they can be part of God's ongoing redeeming work in making this world new again. In fact, Wonder Woman could be a great agent for God's ongoing redeeming work in making this world new again. How about us, though? See, do we want to be right? Do we sometimes catch ourselves saying, I'm not like them, or they're wrong, we're right? It can be both subtle and overt, depending on the situation we are in, right? Like, for instance, this COVID-19, I see a bunch of my friends and colleagues and people around, or even on the news, posting on Facebook and Twitter. You could tell that there are some anger and frustration, yet there's also a lot of finger wagging and a lot of finger pointing, blaming, telling people you're wrong, I'm right, etc., etc. We have this strong tendency that we want to be on the right side of everything and we want to be right. See, Christians have a very interesting history. I'm not too sure if you're aware of this, but some of you are. One of the reasons why we have so many denominations is because of our human tendency to be right and the need to determine who is wrong in interpreting scripture. We're like Bible cops. Most notably, the, ones that, the two bookend books are the ones that create the most debate, Genesis and Revelation. So many interpretations, yet these interpretations cause us divisions. Even today, we have an us versus them approach towards each other. For instance, gender, women equality. There's the complementarians, I believe, and then there's the what egalitarians. They're going at each other's throats on that one. There's the liberal Christians versus the conservative Christians. Uh, there's the evangelical Christians versus the Catholics. There's the Catholics versus the evangelical. Then there's the evangelical versus the Anglicans. It seems like the evangelicals tend to want to be on the right side. So it's always evangelicals versus something. Reform versus everyone else. Gospel collision versus everyone else. Uh, city to city versus everyone else. Evolutionists versus creationists. Our tendency to be right clouds our judgment, discernment, and most importantly, it clouds the reading of scripture. Some of us are convicted, are so convicted, so strongly in one interpretation of certain scriptural passages that we are willing to create division, willing to sacrifice relationships, even damage relationships for the sake of being right. Here's an example. As some of you know, there's the, these new uh, interpretations, new perspectives of Paul. And I, for one, have been trying to learn some more about that. Once I told some people, some fellow Christians, that I wanted to learn more, they thought I was a false teacher. And that they would say, no, nope, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm not going to even listen to you. La, 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 la. Right? <laughs> Does that help relationships? Does that at all nurture relationships? Does that all show any love to each other? We lose sight of loving others. And most importantly, we lose sight of becoming the person we are to serve, who is Jesus. The tendency to be right just doesn't just reside in Christianity. For those who are listening, it doesn't just reside, if you're not Christian, hey, you even know that this tendency to want to be right does not just reside in religion. 
marriages break down because of our tendency to be right, political partisanships, bullying, and even good causes such as feeding the poor, taking care of the vulnerable, are at risk of being compromised because of various parties who want to be right. See, I'm from the nonprofit world, and I've witnessed a few arguments here and there amongst nonprofits. And uh, just to summarize and paraphrase, what I usually see and hear is this phrase, no, I, or this nonprofit in, that I run, have the right method to care for the vulnerable in the downtown east side. You don't. And that you tends to be the government. Hence, we have so many nonprofits addressing the needs of the downtown east side. Yet, in my opinion, one of the reasons we have this issue with the downtown east side for decades is because each nonprofit believes they have the right way to do it and want to accuse other nonprofits for doing the wrong way, including the government. See, that also includes caring for our indigenous brothers and sisters as well. There's so many programs out there, yet many of them fail because there's not enough unity. There's not enough uh, um, admittance and humility to realize that maybe I'm wrong and then maybe their method is better. Let's just all pull our resources together for the, the right method. Everyone wants to be on the right side. Everybody wants to be right as opposed to being true, being true like Jesus. So final word, I believe it's not just one woman who needs to be redeemed by the gospel of this whole tendency of being right or this whole tendency of wanting to be in the right side. We all need to look at ourselves and see if there are areas where we hold onto as being right. Areas that we are so convinced that we are right, that we are willing to hurt people, harm relationships or even compromise our relationships with others, or even compromise our mission to be Christian. I'm sure we all have areas. I know I have. Back in, the, the, back in my earlier days of ministry in particular, earlier in my life, I've, I know that I've hurt many people in the LGBTQ community. Now, if it wasn't for the grace and mercy that Jesus has shown me, and the grace that the community, the LGBTQ community has shown me to convict me of my pride in thinking that I had the right way to actually, they actually loved me and received me and forgave me. See, if it wasn't for all that, I would have neglected and rebelled the very person I thought I was serving, who is Jesus. So in closing, let me leave this with you. No matter if you're reading scripture in your cell groups or you're just on your own or taking courses or doing Bible studies or even doing BSF, Bible Study Fellowship, I know some of you are who are listening. Even if you're listening to sermon, even if you're hearing the news on the radio or on the TV or whatever medium you have, or you're chatting with friends or colleagues, let me leave you with this. It is better to be true than it is to be right. To be true, to be Christ-like as opposed to being right. To approach everything through the lens of Jesus and his character. Next time you're reading scripture, doing a Bible study, ask yourself this. Am I reading this from a life that pursues to be like Jesus, who is the truth? Is my life in pursuit of Jesus? Am I reading scripture with a heart of generosity for those who are suffering? 
Am I reading scripture through the heart of humility? Being able to receive different opinions and being able to process them in humility? Am I reading scripture with immense gratitude of receiving God's grace and mercy? And next time we are convinced that we are right about something, ask ourselves this as well. Because I always do now these days. Whenever I find myself really convinced about something that I'm right with, I have to step back and ask myself this and take a moment and pause and step back and ask myself this question. Does this something that I feel so rightly about help me draw closer to God and love humanity better? Does this something, whether it be this interpretation I'm reading in the Bible, whether it be my view towards women in ministry, whether it be my view towards abortion or uh, assisted dying or gender equality or sexual orientation, etc. Do these things, do my views on these things, the, the views that I think that are right and I'm convinced that are right, do these views, actually even like um, uh, various views of the Bible, help me draw closer to God and love humanity better? Because let's face it, if there's a no response in any of these questions I just listed, most likely we're wrong and we need to repent in the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive us and ask him to invite his Holy Spirit again to make us new and afresh in humility, in generosity, and in immense gratitude. Amen. Now, before I leave, let you go and leave and depart and let you go and bestow upon you blessings um, when you go out into this world again uh, for, the next for this coming week, I want to leave you with four questions of reflection. Number one, was there a time that you felt you were right and because of your conviction, it harmed your relationships? Share with your group. Now, when I say group, it could be your cell group, your family, your friends, your colleagues. As to what happened, or write it in your journal. Number two, what are some examples of us versus them that you have that needs Jesus to redeem? Number three, are there groups of people that irk you a lot? You know, just really bug you. Are there groups of people out there right now, as we speak, that really, really, really bug you? It could people be people that are not following the social distancing. It could be neighbors that are like having a party out there, um, totally disobeying the social distancing. It could be anything, anyone. How can the gospel help you to love them? And lastly, discuss in your groups or write in your journal areas that you strongly believe you are right, but may need to open up and receive opinions from others and start a journey of humility. Till next week, have a blessed week and hope to see you on one of our Sunday worship services through Zoom.